received an email from Elder Case. And he said that the meeting on Monday night went well, and you guys had a pastor. That's good news. That's good news. So I uh, just congratulate you on that. Uh, he's supposed to, he takes, actually, he comes, he's supposed to take over on the 15th. So this will be my last Sabbath here. And I uh, want to thank you all for the hospitality and the, and the fellowship that you extended to me and my wife while we've been here. It's been uh, good. It's been short. But uh, it's like I said, I think the last time I was here, I said one of the good things about being an interim pastor is that they don't really get to know you. And so by the time that it's up, you know, they're saying, wow, he's leaving already. And they never say, boy, it's about time that guy got out of here. So <clears throat> that, would be, uh, that would be good. But it's been, it's been enjoyable. I have, uh, I have enjoyed my, my uh, time here. But we've got some amazing things going on in our country, don't we? The cities are burning. Uh, people are getting shot. Um, it's kind of a crazy, crazy time. And here we are on the 4th of July celebrating liberty and freedom. Um, I don't know where this is all going to exactly how it's going to end. I know how it's going to end up in the final play. At least I think I do, but where it's at right now, <clears throat> I don't know. But, well, listen, I'm going to go ahead and pray. If you would bow your heads with me as I ask the Lord to be with us just while we're studying his word together. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we just, Lord, I want to thank you again for a beautiful day. I want to thank you for fellowship that we have here. And Father, this morning as we look at history, we look at your word we to contemplate what has been done on our behalf. Lord, I pray you be with each of us in a very special way that we would maybe recommit ourselves to the principles of your kingdom. I pray, Father, that we may be appreciative of what you have done for each of us. And so, Father, I pray that as we open your word together, as we journey through a time of history, I pray, Lord, that you would bless us with your presence, that your Holy Spirit would fill this place. You fill our hearts and our minds, that you draw especially close to us. I pray, Father, that you would give us the eyes to see, the ears to hear. Father, most of all, give us a heart that we would be willing to receive your truth. And so, Father, bless us now, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Two hundred and forty-four years ago, 50 six men met in a room in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania to discuss the relationship of these colonies here in America with Great Britain. At the end of that, they crafted and signed a document which has become known to us as the Declaration of Independence. These are some of the words that you will find there. It says, we hold these truths to be self-evident. Think about what's being said here. 
You know, <clears throat> we take so much for granted today. We do. We take for granted that we can come together and worship. We take for granted just that when we throw a switch, the lights are going to come on. We take so much for granted. We take for granted we can walk into a grocery store and there will be food to buy. So we hold these truths to be self-evident. You know what they're saying? That you shouldn't even have to really do any deep contemplation on this. This is self-evident that all men are created equal. That they're endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. That whenever any form of government becomes destructive of these ends, it is the right of the people to alter or to abolish it and to institute new government, laying its foundation on such principles and organizing its powers in such form as to them shall seem most likely to affect their safety and happiness. How many of you guys remember Paul Harvey? You remember Paul Harvey? <clears throat> you know, uh, there wasn't a whole lot when I was growing up in our home that we would be sure to be tuned into. But at noon, or during the noon re- news report, there would be Paul Harvey's comments on the news, and then at 5 o'clock, he would have the rest of the story. You guys remember? I see some heads are nodding. You guys know where I'm coming from. <clears throat> this is by Paul Harvey, by the way. It's called They Paid the Price. And he read this on July 4th, 1974. But, you know, there are some things that time cannot change the meaning of. Listen to this. He says, Americans, <clears throat> you know, it's amazing when I read this, I can hear his voice in my head. I just, uh, <clears throat> Americans, you know, the 56 men who signed the Declaration of Independence that first 4th of July, you know they were risking everything, don't you? Because if they won their war with the British, there would be years of hardship and a struggling nation. If they lost they'd face a hangman's noose. And yet there where it says, we herewith pledge our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor, they did sign. But did you know that they paid the price? And Carter Braxton of Virginia signed the Declaration of Independence. He was a wealthy planter and trader. But thereafter he saw his ships swept from the seas, and to pay his debts he lost his home and all his property, and he died in rags. Thomas Lynch Jr., who signed that pledge, was a third-generation rice grower and aristocrat, a large plantation owner, but after he signed, his health failed. With his wife, he set out for France to regain his failing health. Their ship never got to France, and he was never heard from again. Thomas McKean of Delaware was so harassed by the enemy that he was forced to move his family five times in five months. He served in Congress without pay, his family in poverty and in hiding. Vandals looted the properties of Ellery and Clymer and Hall and Gwinnett and Walton and Hayward and Rutledge and Middleton. 
And Thomas Nelson, Jr. of Virginia, raised $2 million on his own signature to, prov to provision our allies a French fleet. After the war, personally, he paid back the loans, wiped out his entire estate. He was never reimbursed by his government. And in the final battle for Yorktown, he, Nelson, urged General Washington to fire on his Nelson's own home, then occupied by Cornwallis, and he died bankrupt. Thomas Nelson, Jr. had pledged his life, his fortune, and his sacred honor. The Hessians seized the home of Francis Hopkinson of New Jersey. Francis Lewis had his home and everything destroyed. His wife in prison, she died within a few months. Richard Stockton, who signed the Declaration of Independence, pledging his life and his fortune, was captured and mistreated and his health broken to the extent that he died at 51 and his estate was pillaged. Thomas Hayward Jr. was captured when Charleston fell. John Hart was driven from his wife's bedside while she was dying. Their 13 children fled in all directions for their lives. His fields and gristmill were laid to waste. For more than a year, he lived in forests and caves and returned home after the war to find his wife dead, his children gone, his properties gone. He died a few weeks later of exhaustion and a broken heart. Lewis Morris saw his land destroyed, his family scattered. Philip Livingston died within a few months of hardships of the war. John Hancock, history remembers best, due to a quirk of fate, that great sweeping signature attesting to his vanity, towers over the others. One of the wealthiest men in New England, he stood outside Boston one terrible night of the war and said, burn Boston, though it makes John Hancock a beggar if the public good requires it. He too lived up to the pledge. <clears throat> of the 56 signers of the Declaration, few were long to survive. Five were captured by the British and tortured before they died. Twelve had their homes from Rhode Island to Charleston sacked and looted, occupied by the enemy or burned. Two of them lost their sons in the army. One had two sons captured. Nine of the 56 died in the war from its hardships or from its more merciful bullets. I don't know what impression you'd had of these men who met that hot summer in Philadelphia, but I think it's important this July 4 that we remember this about them. They were not poor men. They were not wild-eyed pirates. These were men of means. These were rich men, most of them, who enjoyed much ease and luxury in personal living, not hungry men, prosperous men, wealthy landowners, substantially secure in their prosperity, but they considered liberty. This is as much I shall say of it, if they learn that liberty is so much more important than security, that they pledge their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor, and they fulfilled their pledge, they paid the price, and freedom was born. And then he signed off. Paul Harvey, good day. I think one of the things that has happened to us is that it was originally known <clears throat> as Independence Day, and now it's just known as the 4th of July. And I think a lot of what has taken place over the last 244 years has erased in our minds how precious that liberty really is and how much we stand to lose if we're not vigilant. 
these men, they signed the document, this very end of it, before you see the signatures, and it says, and for the support of this declaration, with a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence. You know, I've heard a lot of things over the years about, well, these were a bunch of deists, and they really didn't believe in God and all this other stuff. But when you read the Declaration of Independence, friends, that's not what's in there at all. In fact, they talk about the Creator. They talk about we have God-given rights. It says, and for the support of this declaration, with a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence, we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. I was up in the Boundary Waters several years ago. A group of us went up. And we were camped on a, <clears throat> I think we were camped on an island. And one of the, one of the guys that were with us, he brought his dad up there. His dad was an elderly gentleman. <clears throat> Of course, it's not so elderly now looking back, but at least at the time it seemed elderly. <clears throat> he was from Mississippi. The guy was a great storyteller. I mean, that guy could, he, in fact, he was part of a storyteller's guild, but that's not part of my story. <clears throat> that's what I remember about him. But he said something. He said something there that when, when he was making a statement, he would say, on my word of honor, on my word of honor. You know, you don't hear a whole lot about honor today, but when Bill would say, on my word of honor, I mean, that was his bond. That was his blood oath that he was making, that this is true. My word stands on this. That's what I think about these men when they signed this. When they signed this document, we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. You know, when you study history, <clears throat> I, I, I love history. I wish I would appreciate history when I was a kid in school. I, I really do. <clears throat> you know, when I was trying to learn history, it was, well, on this date this happened, on this date that happened. We, we never really dug into why. And that's what I find most fascinating about history is, 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 is once you have a biblical worldview and you can look back over history and you can see God working through history to bring us to where we are today. It's amazing. Absolutely amazing. And as, and as you study through history and you realize that, well, you know, the Protestant Reformation began, well, they claim it began in 1517. It was actually in the works before them. But when Martin Luther nailed those 95 theses to the door of the church in Wittenberg, that started a movement and started people moving in a, in a biblical direction. And so that by the time they, they came to America, they came to America to find out, to have a place where they could worship according to the dictates of their conscience. And so when the United States was formed, it was formed on the principles there would be no king and there would be no pope. And America was born on the principles of the Protestant Reformation. And as I read, you know, through the Constitution of the United States, the Declaration of Independence, when I read what these men had in mind, you cannot deny the impact that the Reformation had on the formation of this country. Well, signing that document, <clears throat> of course, we know, led to 
what we call the Revolutionary War. Now, if you're from Canada, they don't call it that in Canada. They call it the American Insurrection. <laughs> Perspective. <laughs> Perspective. <clears throat> but that originally broke our tie with Great Britain, and it set us up as an independent nation. Even though Britain signed a, a treaty with us, they really didn't live up to us. And so a little over 30 years later came the War of 1812. War of 1812 was going to sever that connection with Great Britain. Never again would they be coming in and hijacking our people, forcing them to serve in their military and things like that. Well, 50 years after the War of 1812, we had the Civil War. Civil War where more Americans died in the Civil War than all the other wars that we have fought since the Revolutionary War through this day. The carnage was horrible. But when Abraham Lincoln read, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, he realized that that meant more than just a certain class of people, but he meant all people were created equal. And so the Civil War was fought to, well, there was other issues there, but that settled, or was supposed to have been settled in there. And you go another 50 years, right around 50 years, beginning of the 20th century, came the war to end all wars, World War I. They thought that the carnage was going to be so great in this war that never again would war ever rear up its head <clears throat> But it wasn't very long, about 30 years after that, we were involved in World War II. All of these were in the name of liberty and its preservation. And for this freedom, men and women have left the safety and comforts of their homes. Many of them paid the ultimate price so we can be here today. So how do we honor them? How do we honor these men and women, the countless others who paid the ultimate price so that we can be free? Is it by having parades or picnics or having a, a national day off? Maybe it's going to a fireworks display and we can see the bombs bursting in there and all this other stuff where, ironically, most of the pyrotechnics are made in China, a communist country. Isn't that interesting? Or do we honor them by upholding the principles that they stood for? By holding ourselves and our leaders responsible to the principles of truth and honor and justice and integrity and morality. And when those leaders prove to not be following those principles, then we hold them accountable, we vote them out of office, and thereby preserve this great nation. You see, my friends... <clears throat> whether it's a country, whether it's a community, whether it's a church, or even a family, they will never rise <clears throat> above the level of integrity of its leadership. Individuals may, but not as a whole. When I have taken over churches, when I was, I was in pastoral ministry for 17 years, I would sit down with my elders, and that's one of the things I would tell them. 
I said, this church will never rise above the spiritual level of this group right here. And if we are not spiritually minded, we can never expect the saints to be spiritually minded either. And so that's the level of responsibility we have because we are leaders in this church. You have that CD ready? Is that ready to go? There's a song that I'm going to have them play. I don't do this very often. In fact, I think that's the only time I can think of that I would do this. But there's a song that's to be played. This is uh, by Twyla Paris. Some of you may have heard it. What did he die for? It was written in 1996. Now, there's a little theological discrepancy there. A little bit of a theological discrepancy on the day. She says 34. It was actually 31. I want you to overlook that. I want you to be warned so you don't focus on that when it comes up. But listen to the words. Listen to the words very carefully to what she is saying in a song. Go ahead.
get a message across in five minutes that takes an hour of speaking to convey. It really does. It's just uh, it's amazing. Before the foundation of the world, with the possibility of sin on this earth, the Son came to the Father, pledged his life, his fortune, and his sacred honor, that in the event that man should fall under sin and come into the bondage of sin, that he would become man's surety. He would pay the price. And of course, we know the story. Adam and Eve did fall under the delusion, the temptation of Satan. And so when they disobeyed, that plan was set into motion that man would not be forever separated from God, but the Son would pay the price himself to set us at liberty. See, what was at play here and what was at stake was freedom of choice. And because love can only truly be love if you have a choice not to love. And because of that, and God wanted free choice, that is the principle that the whole great controversy is based on. And he would risk everything for that. Listen to this statement from the book Patriarchs and Prophets. This is from page 63. The Son of God 
heaven's glorious commander, was touched with pity for the fallen race. His heart was moved with infinite compassion as the woes of the lost world rose up before him. But divine love had conceived a plan whereby man might be redeemed. The broken law of God demanded the life of the sinner. In all the universe, there was but one who could, in behalf of man, satisfy its claims. Since the divine law is as sacred as God himself, only one equal with God could make atonement for its transgression. None but Christ could redeem fallen man from the curse of the law and bring him again into harmony with heaven. Christ would take upon himself the guilt and shame of sin, sin so offensive to a holy God that it must separate the Father and his Son. Christ would reach to the depths of misery to rescue the ruined race. Before the Father, he pleaded in the sinner's behalf, while the host of heaven awaited the result with an intensity of interest that words cannot express. Long continued was that mysterious communing, the council of peace for the fallen sons of men. The plan of salvation had been laid before the creation of the earth, for Christ is the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Yet it was a struggle, even with the king of the universe, to yield up his son to die for the guilty race. But God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Oh, the mystery of redemption, the love of God for a world that did not love him. Who can know the depths of that love which passes knowledge? Through endless ages, immortal minds, seeking to comprehend the mystery of that incomprehensible love, will wonder and adore. And so, how do we honor, how do we, you and me, right here, 2020, how do we honor this precious gift that God in Christ, who paid the ultimate price so that we can be free? By celebrating certain holidays? Is it by taking for granted the salvation freely offered to us? Is it by maybe presuming upon the grace that's provided? Or do we honor him by upholding the principles that he stood for? By holding ourselves and our leaders responsible to the principles of biblical truth, divine honor, godly justice, impeccable integrity, and morality? See, that's the answer to the question asked in the title of this sermon. Liberty, is it worth the price? You see, it can only be worth the price if we value it and we respond to it. So how do we respond to that liberty that liberty proclaims to the world, the value that we place on that precious gift? Isaiah, the gospel prophet. I love reading the book of Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 61, he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim, what's the next word? Liberty. Freedom. To proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. Jesus, after he was baptized, went up into the wilderness, and for 40 days there he was tempted by the devil. And when that was done, he didn't eat or drink, the Bible says, for 40 days. 40 days. How many of us have gone 40 hours? Follow what I'm saying? 
And think about that. 40 days. The Bible says he was hungry. Well, I imagine. I've gone, I think the longest I've gone was about three days. <clears throat> three days. I'm going to tell you something. After three days, man, I was hungry. <laughs> I was really hungry. <clears throat> but after that time, it says the angels came down. They fed him. And he went into Nazareth where he had grown up. And the Gospel of Luke records that he, he, he comes in there and he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day as his custom was and he stood up to read and they handed him the scroll of the book of Isaiah. This is Jesus now announcing his ministry. He's telling them this is what the kingdom of God is really all about. And he says this, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind and to set at liberty those who are oppressed. Freedom. Freedom. The psalmist in Psalm 119 verse 45 says, And I will walk at liberty, for I seek your precepts. You know what's really interesting is we've got a real twist in theological understanding, not so much in Adventist church, but in the Christian world, where if, if you're looking at the precepts of God, they consider you're in bondage. Well, friends, listen, you're in bondage to one of two things in your life. That's it. You are never on your own. You realize that? You're either in bondage to Satan and his kingdom of darkness, or you're in bondage to God and a kingdom of light. That's it. That's your choice. There's choice between life and death, between darkness and light. That's it. That's it. You know, you would think that with a, with a choice like that, it would be a very simple thing to do. But how many of us continually choose the kingdom of light? He says, I will walk at liberty. I will be free, for I seek your precepts. <clears throat> James chapter 1, verse 25, he said, But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. And in chapter 2 and verse 12, he says, So speak and so do as those who will be judged by the law of freedom. Freedom. Law of liberty. But with freedom comes responsibility. I remember the first time I was talking to a pastor, and he told this is man, this is, I just first became a Christian. <clears throat> and he says, there is responsibility with freedom. Well, this is what Paul says, Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6, if you're following along, chapter 6, verses 17 through 19. He says, but God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin. See, he puts that in the past tense. He says, you're no longer slaves of sin. Why not? 
Because now you have Christ in you, the hope of glory. And sin shall no longer have dominion over you. Why? Because you are now in Christ. And he says, that, but God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. And having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. He says, I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves of uncleanness and of lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. Our scripture reading this morning was from John chapter 8. I, <clears throat> I like reading the exchanges that Jesus had with people. In the Gospels, he says in verse 31, So then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word, then you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And they answered him, they said, We are Abraham's descendants, and we have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you'll be made free? Was that a true statement? They're lying through their teeth. They were lying through their teeth. They were in bondage to the Egyptians. They were in bondage to the Babylonians. They were in bondage and in, in sometimes to the Philistines. They were in bondage a number of times. At the current time when they were bragging about this, they were in bondage to Rome. See, the problem was they didn't want to have relief from sin. They didn't want to have victory over sin. They just wanted victory over the Romans. They didn't want another country to be ruling over them. And so rejected the only chance that they had to have true freedom. Jesus answered them. He said, Most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin, and a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. You know, brothers and sisters, I really believe one of the things that we need to do is we need to look at this verse. We need to look in the mirror, look into our own eyes and ask ourselves a question, do I believe that? Do I believe this? Was Jesus really telling me the truth when he said this? Paul in Romans chapter 8, verse 21, he said, because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God, the freedom of the children of God. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 17, it says, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Look up in a concordance the word liberty and freedom, and just read the verses in the New Testament, New Testament that refers to that. Galatians, Paul says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free, and do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Paul's warning goes over and over. You know, this idea that, that uh, well, the argument goes, are we saved in sin or are we saved from sin? This is the last time I'm preaching here, so I can get away with a lot of stuff. <laughs> may not make it out the door. But there is never in the Bible does it say we are saved in sin. The Bible is very clear. God delivers us. He delivers us. He gives us freedom. He sets us free. You shall know the truth. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. You shall know the truth, and the truth will do what? Set you free. Peter, 
warns about taking the grace of God for granted. He says, as free, this is 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 16, he says, as free, yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice, but as bondservants of God. You see, the danger, I think, that what happens is if we forget the cost, whether it's for our freedom here or for our freedom from sin, if we forget the cost, if we lower the value of that price, then you see we are no longer worthy of the liberty that God has given us. And how we respond to that liberty proclaims to the world what value that we really do place on that precious gift. And so if you enjoy the freedoms that we have in this country, I would encourage you to thank, to thank those who went off and paid the price for us to be free. Encourage you not to take for granted the the gift that we have of being here. I was privileged to go to a communist country and hold meetings, Cuba. When you talk to people who are living under a, a very oppressive government and you realize how good you really have it here. I remember when we flew into Cuba, it wasn't quite the same as when we flew out of Cuba, but after spending a couple of weeks over there, when they announced over the airline, we have just entered United States airspace. There was like a weight that was lifted off us, a darkness that dispelled. It was amazing. You know, I've heard, my dad told me stories when I was growing up <clears throat> about how people, when they left, they'd come back and they would get down, they'd kiss the ground. And that became a reality to me. We have it so good here. And unfortunately, unfortunately, with ease <clears throat> and with freedom, we take much for granted. And we don't really value what we have. But listen, brothers and sisters, that freedom is going to be taken from us. Now, we know how the story ends. But between those two points, there's going to be some very difficult times. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you don't have anyone to fellowship with. But I'm going to tell you something. You will really value the fellowship you have when those days come. Remember a pastor, I was a young guy. <clears throat> I didn't become a Christian until I was you know, 26, 27. And uh, he looked at me and he said, Boy, I can't wait for the time of trouble. I did the same thing. <laughs> I looked at him and I said, You can't wait for the time of trouble? He says, Tommy, says, have you got any idea how precious the fellowship is going to be then? Because that's all we're going to have is each other. None of the other stuff is going to get in the way. I've thought about a lot, of, a lot about that since then, and it's true. So if you value the freedom that you've been given in Christ, I would encourage you to thank him who paid the price that we can be free. Keep your eyes fixed on him. Allow him to continue to deliver you from the thraldom of sin. You see, I don't believe that there is any sin, any ensnarement that God is not bigger than and that he cannot deliver us from. And so when we consider the infinite price that Jesus paid for our freedom, what I'm asking you this morning is, are we willing to pledge our lives, our fortunes, 
and our sacred honor. The Son of God shall make you free. You shall be free indeed. Our closing hymn is hymn number 154, When I Survey. Well, the wondrous cross, hymn number 154, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. <laughs>